Hello, and welcome to the Mod Sports Podcast. I'm Cole Levine, and I'm on the good phone with my good friend, Venetia Medi. Cole, what up, what up? What up, what up? Do you actually want to know what up, what up? I wanted to share an awesome app for sports fans, Vinay, Justin, and I use called Daily Bracket. Daily Bracket is the only sports pick-up app giving away $1,000 plus in cash prizes and reward every day. There's never an entry fee, so there's no risk to play. Basically how it works is there's five outcomes to pick for each day. For example, you'd pick the winner of tonight's Cavaliers-Pistons game. Go three for five on a day to start a streak or continue a streak. Go five for five and it counts as two days in your streak. Continue winning every day and have the chance to win more money as the streak continues with the chance to win a million dollars. We encourage all your listeners to download Daily Bracket and play today. Now, there's a mod sports group on Daily Bracket where all of our listeners can compete against one another and compete against Vinay, Justin, and I. Press the menu button on the top right corner of the app, click on the groups page, then join a group. Search mod.sports and the password is mod in all caps. The top performer each week will receive a weekly prize, so go to your app store and download Daily Bracket today. Definitely just go check it out. I mean, it's really fun. Opportunity to just win money. It doesn't cost anything. You're just picking games. You, it gives you incentive to watch the games. It just makes too much sense not to do it. But, uh... Getting into the podcast now, Vinay. Before we get started, I just want to say congratulations on getting your bull prediction from the other day. I appreciate that. You just want to say what it was quickly? Yes, yesterday, Ian Desmond hit a home run off Dallas Keuchel. Uh, going into the week, Ian Desmond had .108 average, I want to say. Dallas Keuchel is obviously the reigning AL Cy Young. thought that was a bold enough prediction. Funny, uh, funny enough, sometimes uh, things happen, and Ian Desmond hit a home run yesterday in the first yeah. inning. No, he absolutely ripped that baseball. I was at the game last night. It was a freaking... Um, Oppo Taco. Oppo Taco just it came off the bat beautifully. You knew it was a no-doubter right away. It's crazy how it works, Vinay. Just sorry. Yesterday, we're recording this on Friday. Jake Arrieta throws a no-hitter, and Dallas Keuchel throws a, th- gives up 12 hits. It's just both Cy Youngs having the exact opposite days. 13 hits, yeah. 13 hits, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you want to get into it, though? Let's do it. Let's do it. So, breaking news. Tom Thibodeau signs with the Minnesota Timberwolves as the – Head, head coach and the president of basketball operations. Uh, Vinay, what are your thoughts? And they also got Scott Layden, but what are your thoughts on Tom Thibodeau as a coach? Yeah, I mean, Tom Thibodeau, in the past, whenever he was with Chicago, uh, before this past year for, I believe, four, three or four years, uh, I thought he was one of the best coaches in basketball. He was a big reason why everyone thought uh, the Chicago Bulls were Easter Conference, uh, were Easter Conference powerhouse. Uh, always up there with the Miami Heat uh, when they have LeBron, obviously. But uh, just getting a guy like Tom Thibodeau, you know you're going to get your defense is going to be top 10, top 5 level. Um, there's a People think there's an issue with him and overworking his players. I don't necessarily see that uh, in him. I think he does have a tendency sometimes to overplay guys, but I think he's learned from his year off, or I think he – I hope he has learned at least um, – but, but despite that, the Timberwolves are getting definitely getting the right guy. Sam Mitchell was not the right guy. He did a he did a decent job this past year. I mean, the beginning part of the year for Sam Mitchell, he was pretty awful. Uh, but he was a big part of why they beat the Warriors at Golden State. But I mean, obviously, he was not the guy for the future. And obviously, it was really important for that young core to get a guy like Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, I think Sam Mitchell was, did a good job of just helping the team grow. I guess just get accustomed to playing NBA basketball, especially with Carl Towns. Getting another year under Andrew Wiggins, just helping them learn whatnot, and yeah, you said Tom Thibodeau kind of had a tendency to overplay players. I think that's kind of like 
that's going like deep into like that's one of the little things he could fix. But like as like the overall picture though is really really good. Like yeah, you're just no, getting definitely. like really picky if you think he overplays. That's just how good of a coach he is. No, I mean part of why the people thought they overplayed he overplayed people was because of the rash injuries that Chicago went through. But I mean Tom Thibodeau isn't the reason that Derrick Rose has uh, really weak ligaments in his knees. Uh, I mean, it, I mean even when. Guys were out though; they were always competitive. I mean, I remember that series a few years ago in Brooklyn. It went Game Seven, and uh, Nate Robinson was their point guard for that game, and they completely stole a game in Brooklyn and won the series. It was one of the best coaching performances I've seen in a single playoff game. Yeah, Just, he's the kind of guy that I'd love to have out there in a do or die game, no matter who I have. Yeah, um, he never had issues with Jimmy Butler. It was just more man. It was just management, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I just mean, want to make sure. I don't know why I was thinking. I mean, I was obviously terrible memory. I just didn't know if it had anything to do with Jimmy Butler at all. No. Yeah. He had a poor relationship with front office. That's the reason why he was let go. Yeah. I think for his coaching performance, just to really, they didn't agree on a lot of things. That's part of the reason why uh, he gets the title of president of basketball operations here. He really wanted uh, more control. Uh, I think he's one of those guys that deserves that control. Just the kind of coach he is. And I think he's just a brilliant basketball mind. Uh, yeah. And he was also just, people don't really talk about the, job he did with the Celtics but 2008 when uh, Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen went to the Celtics for the first time uh, he was the big reason why people credit Kevin Garnett as they should but um, Tom Thibodeau was as big of a reason for their def- defensive resurgence that year yeah I was just about I was literally just about to say he was basically their defensive coordinator and I mean yeah he's one of the best he was the, he was the best assistant coach in basketball at the time and he was probably one of the main reasons why they won a championship yeah definitely yeah uh, do you like the fit at all with Minnesota? Yeah, no, I definitely do. I think, uh, I mean, you know how you know how high I am on Carl Anthony Towns. I Absolutely. think he's going to be one of the best players in basketball. Uh, he's, I think, he's going to be a terrific defensive guy. We haven't even talked about Andrew Wiggins that much on this podcast. Um, I think Andrew Wiggins has the potential to be uh, a defensive like stud, just perimeter wise. Yeah, and I think. I think part of their defensive issues also is, uh, I mean, they could, they've shown the ability to score points. I believe in their last game they scored 130 plus in regulation, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, part of their defensive issues, I think, is just mentality and being in the right spot. And obviously, Tom Thibodeau helps with that. Yeah, we saw they Andrew. Def- oh, sorry, continue. I, I was going to say they definitely have the the raw athleticism uh, defensively with Towns, Levine, uh, Wiggins, even Ricky Rubio is kind of a pesky defender, which is, I mean, you can teach, you can teach hustle. You can work with that. Yeah, I agree with you. And, uh, Andrew Wiggins kind of struggled defensively is more of the off ball thing. Just still learning how to play the game. I mean, the fit's perfect. I think every, any basketball fan could agree that this was the most coveted job in the NBA as it should be. No. Yeah. I thought by far this was the best, uh, job, even, even with the talent they have, I feel like you're still going to get, uh, you're not going to get as much pressure, uh, from the media, which I mean, some coaches like coaching in New York or LA. Um, but uh, I mean, I could see some coaches uh, wanting to coach in a Minneapolis type setting where it's not as big a pressure. You have uh, really star talent to work with in Wiggins and Towns, but uh, you're not going to be like the pressure's not going to be on you from the national media perspective. Yeah, no, not really. And I mean, it's still a young team, so it's. Not like they're expected to make a like a play like a deep playoff run or anything next year or anything like that. Right, I think their goal should just be making the playoffs. It's, it's one step at a time, really. Yeah, and even making the playoffs that might even be a little much. I mean, 
obviously your your goal is to make the playoffs. I just still think it's important with such a young team, and obviously I'm being picky with this. It's just important to still be able to learn from your mistakes, be able to kind of grow naturally rather than force a playoff push, if you know what I mean. Right. No, I thought I thought I think definitely improvement from year to year is important for a young team like this. I personally. I'm really high on the Timberwolves. I personally thought that if, uh, I mean, if they had a better head coach this year, uh, they didn't play Tayshawn Prince and Kevin Garnett at the beginning of the year. That's what really screwed over their record in the beginning part of the year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if they didn't have those two things happen, if they had just a really like above average head coach, I thought they could have challenged for an eighth spot. I mean, we were talking about 42 and 40 gets you in the playoffs. I thought they could have gone there really with this year. With yeah. this year's team. They definitely. I mean, there's a chance they could have. And I fear if you're. Uh, like, say you're just running – like, Bill Simmons had an idea last week. I think it was Bill Simmons. He just said if you're going to – instead of – you should have the top seven teams automatically make the playoffs and then the rest of the teams that are off should play, like, a playoff for one game, like a single elimination for the eight seed. I would probably – I think I might pick Minnesota to win it at this point of the season. Yeah, no, they played really well at the end of the year. Uh, a part of that is uh, their guys were just kind of gelling with that unit with Rubio, Levine, Wiggins, Towns. I believe Gorgie Jang just really, really gelled together. Yeah, they definitely did. And I'm excited to watch them tomorrow. Uh, sorry, not tomorrow. They're not playing tomorrow. They're going to be playing. I was going to ask, I was going to say next year. So my question is, what do you expect out of the Wolves next year? I think it's going to be really interesting what they get out of there. I think it's guaranteed to be top, top seven now, top five, I should say, uh, draft pick in this coming draft. I don't personally, I don't think it's as strong a draft, definitely not as strong as draft as it was last year. Um, but if you can get a guy in the top five, obviously, that could definitely help your franchise. It's not going to be a franchise-type player. Uh, even if you land top two, you're not going to guarantee a franchise player and Ben Simmons or Brendan Ingram. But if you get – I think the guy that I'm looking for for them is Buddy Heald. So you're talking about a guy that can his rookie year come off the bench and just put up buckets. We saw what he did at the collegiate level. Absolutely took Oklahoma on his back and took him to the Final Four, which is a feat on itself uh, to do. Uh, I think he'd be a perfect fit there. Yeah, definitely need shooting. I think another guy you could probably look at is maybe Dragon Bender, just has a 4-5 combo with Carl Anthony Towns. Ability to yes. shoot. That's an interesting fit there. I think they need they definitely need shooting because as good as Wiggins is, he's kind of limited in his outside shooting game. He can get to the rim, I feel like, at will. Um, but in terms of just pulling up and just spot up threes, which I think they're going to have to – the wings on, the, on that team are going to have to be able to do – uh, with a guy like Carl Anthony Towns in the post, it's important to get perimeter shooters and, and just guys that will at least try hard on defense. That's what they need. Yeah, I, I think they have the mentality to where they can, they'll can they try hard on defense. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns is – I mean, Kevin Garnett's there, but he's basically the leader of the young guys, and you can, you see his mentality off the court just never satisfied with winning a Rookie of the Year award or anything like that. Like, he has the mentality to be an elite defense, defensive player. Yeah, I mean, Wiggins won one – Two years ago, obviously. I never – I thought he had the chance to be a number one guy, but I think from your number one guy, you kind of need that personality. And I think it's going to be really huge for Wiggins' career that he doesn't have to necessarily be relied upon to be that number one guy personality-wise. Uh, you have a guy like Towns who has shown that. I definitely think he'll be able to be that yeah. kind of guy. Wiggins, just, Wiggins, just, Wiggins can uh, kind of focus on just being like the Scottie Pippen for this team, which if he turns out to be – if he has a Scottie Pippen career, that's a phenomenal career. They're going to win multiple titles in Minnesota if he does that. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's like a high, high, high ceiling is Scottie Pippen, for, especially for him. I would say, I think it's attainable. It's just it's high. I hope he'd get there. That'd be awesome. Yeah. And then uh, just looking at this year or next year, I mean, 
Uh, I think they'll be near like the eight seed. I think they fall just short. I still think it's important for them to just miss another year of the playoffs, kind of struggle a little bit just so they know, like just so they can learn from it, kind of just blossom, like I said earlier. If they make the playoffs, I mean, Tom Thibodeau is a guy that's always going to be chasing the playoffs. No, definitely. That's why I think they're going to make the playoffs next year. I think a team like teams like uh, Dallas, Houston uh, could fall off. Memphis could fall off because they're going to lose Mike Conley. Uh, and then they might trade Marcus Hall. You don't know how that goes. Zebo might take a step uh, take a step back. Um, it'll be really interesting. I think they'll. I think they should make the playoffs next year. Um, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I don't. I, I think they're they'll be in that range, and it, it could be important for them. Um, do you think? Do you do you see any like surprising, shocking moves that you could see this offseason? Maybe Jimmy Butler? Question mark? Question mark? Uh, well, I, I don't know what. Chicago would want from that. They'd probably have to give up Zach Levine. Uh, probably Zach Levine, your first round pick this year, and then like a contract uh, like Pekovic. But I don't know if Chicago would do that. Do you even know if Minnesota would do that? Do you think they want to break up that young core at this point? If you have a chance to get Jimmy Butler and you have, you can throw out Rubio, Jimmy Butler, Wiggins. Uh, you have some guy at the four and then Towns. I, I would do that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about Minnesota? I mean, we like to talk about them a lot just because they're one of the more fun teams to watch and probably the best young prospect in basketball. Yeah, no, I think if I think this is one of the most uh, attractive head coaching jobs that got taken up. If you're just picking out of the 30, 30 teams, this would be top five for me personally just because of talent. I'm really super high on Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> oh, question. Sorry, what do you what do you take of the mean of the what do you take away with the hiring of Scott Layden as the GM? Um. Not much. I think they're gonna. It's gonna be a collaborative job in terms of player personnel. Uh, we know who the head co- head coach is, so the GM doesn't have the job of that. Obviously, because Tibbs is the head coach. Um, but just in terms of there, I think they're gonna be really collaborative. Uh, I think it's it was key that they came in together. Uh, so you obviously know that they've they've talked before. Uh, they're they're on the same page at least going in. Uh, Tibbs can be known as a hard head, so we'll see if there's any issues in the future. But I think for the most part, they're going to agree on most of the things. And there's, I mean, it took a little bit to hire the GM. And they, there's a reason they hired the GM and the head coach at the same time. They're probably on the same page as of right now. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I thought it was a good hire getting a, the assistant GM of the San Antonio Spurs. It just, I think it kind of brings in the, not like the, not like mentality, but just kind of how to build a team properly in a sense. Just learning from guys like R.C. Buford and Greg Popovich. Right, yeah. I think I mean I thought it was a good hire, and it's important to have a guy that does the day to day work as the GM rather than so Tom Thibodeau can focus on coaching and whatnot. Yes, I agree. All right, let's move on. Yep. Okay, let's move on to the Washington Wizards signed Scott Brooks yesterday. They did. They did. I mean, I was happy with it. Just one man off the list for the Rockets, but that's another story that we'll probably talk about next week. I would. You think. weren't happy with it, he said. Oh, I am happy. Why were you happy with that? Just another guy off the list. I'm. I'm inching close. It's inching closer to Je- Jeff Van Gundy. Yeah, I think. I think Jeff Van Gundy's the guy. I don't know. It's really interesting. Just quickly on the Rockets. I don't know. <coughs> I saw this report on Twitter that said if if the Rockets got swept immediately or lost in five or whatever. I mean, we don't know how far that series is going to go. We can only assume as of right now, just based off yesterday. But uh, if they lost it a few in four or five. Uh, the Jeff Van Gundy had the potential to replace both Daryl Morey and uh, and uh, JB Bakerstaff, which I, I was curious what your thoughts on that. Uh, I don't think Daryl Morey leaves. 
at all. I don't think that at all. Okay, I was just curious because yeah. I saw that. And I mean, I, Jeff Van Gundy has he's word. he's basically said that he's not necessarily looking for a president of basketball operations job. Also, that was in Adrian Wadge, that was in Wadge's report. Basically, yeah. so I mean, I think he's the guy that you kind of have to target. He's he last time he coached was ten years ago. You can look at that and say there could be an issue with him transitioning to the game. I think he's been in a bunch of contact with coaches today. He understands how the game's gone and where the game is going to where he can he'll be able to he'll be able to fit right in to the, in today's game. Yeah, I mean it'll be interesting cuz I don't know cuz Jeff Jack Dundee, I don't know, just throughout the years I've seen him talk about the Rockets just hustle in games just when I watch when I watch on their ABC or ESPN broadcast. It'll be interesting to see if he gets to choose what kind of guys he gets in that locker room uh if Daryl Morey's still there or not. Yeah, uh I think I mean if we're, I think if he does end up taking the job, then it'll be a, a much different team next year than it is this year. And I think that's kind of the plan going forward anyway. Yeah. Uh, let's move back to Scott Brooks, though. Um, Washington Wizards hired him. They pushed really hard for him. Obviously, he was the guy that they wanted. Um, what do you think of Scott Brooks as a coach? Um, him in Oklahoma City drove me crazy sometimes with the – lineups they'd close with in crunch time. Uh, but I think part of that has to go to Sam Presti. The, uh, Sam Presti could never find the guy that could play around Westbrook and Durant. You're seeing that now. Uh, I think against the Spurs in, 20, I want to say, 2013, uh, Derek Fisher was in their crunch time lineup, which was kind of ridiculous because he's like a head, he was a head coach. He was already been fired as a head coach not too long after. Um, yeah. So I'm not the biggest... I wasn't a big fan of him, but I don't think I could necessarily, like, looking back on it, I don't think he was uh, at complete fault there. Uh, and you see what Billy Donovan's doing now. He's, I think he's a worse coach than Scott Brooks. I don't think it's really close. Um, I think Scott Brooks, if he has the right personnel, can definitely motivate a team and, and definitely have them play for their poten- uh, to their full potential. Uh, you never heard players talk about that he was a bad coach or anything like that. It was just kind of the media perception and people getting frustrated about what they wanted to see out of Durant Westbrook in crunch time. He had trouble sometimes drawing up plays, but you know it might be hard to draw up plays when you don't have the right personnel around Durant Westbrook. You're just not going to have the spacing that you otherwise would. Yeah, and you're right. He wasn't necessarily the best coach in the league, I think that's fair to say, but he was kind of put a lot of blame, unnecessary blame on him when it could have yeah. gone to front office, some of the players – um, I mean, they consistently had one of the better defenses in the league while he was there, and I think he helped utilize Serge Ibaka a lot, and you're kind of seeing Serge fall off just a little bit this year. He hasn't had the best year, I would say. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good hire. I think this is kind of the way they needed to go with the coach. They didn't really need a disciplinarian. They just needed a guy that just that got along with all the players, that had a good relationship with the players. Right, yeah. Um, I thought that was kind of a way to go. John Wall didn't have a great year. I think he kind of needs to pick me up, and this is the right guy just to help him feel comfortable and whatnot. No, I think – I don't know. I don't really blame John Wall for this past year. I thought uh, they honestly might have overperformed from past years. I mean, they play a lineup where they have John Wall, Beal, who wasn't even fully healthy. He might be damaged goods for the rest of his career just in terms of injury in his knee and his leg. Otto Porter, who I thought was supposed to take a step up, but he never really did. You just kind of stay at the same level as he was last year. Yeah. Maybe he wasn't ready for the starting role. 
immediately. I think there's a chance that Kelly Oubre could take his job as soon as next year as, as the starting three. I'm really high on Kelly Oubre. I just think he's kind of a perfect guy for the future of the NBA in terms of just DN3. And that's all he does for the team. He's gonna think they'll be really good. Uh, I don't think he could play two bigs like Nene and Gortat together anymore. Yeah. In this year's league, in this time in time in basketball. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. And uh, like I said, he he Scott Brooks helped OKC continue to have a good defense while he was there. Was top seven four years in a row. Um, I think he he can get Washington back back there, like un, near the top tier, because this year they were. 14th in defensive rating the year before. I think they were fifth. So it was, it was just a big drop off. It was kind of a mess. Um, Randy Whitman clearly wasn't that great of a coach. Uh, I think the like I said, the fit works well. What do you expect for them next year and in the future? I think they should definitely. They're supposed to be a, a potentially Eastern Conference semifinalist this year, meaning they finished top four in the playoffs in their own conference. Uh, they definitely they didn't make the playoffs, which I thought was absurd. With that with a guy like John Wall in the East, he should always make the playoffs. I feel like uh, he's just one of those star point guards. Yeah, they need a they need to hit on their draft pick uh, if they can somehow land Dragon Bender. I'm, they're probably not going to get up that high, uh, but if the lottery all shape up that way, that's a perfect guy for that team. Just they need kind of a perimeter guy because the spacing is really kind of screwed up with uh, Nene and Gortat. And I, I, I know for a fact Scott Brooks won't be uh, won't be playing those two together in uh, a lot of lineups. He also took a year off uh, as well as Tibbs, and he could also have learned from mistakes that he did in Oklahoma City. I mean, we're talking about his first job and and as a head coach was Oklahoma City, and he had a lot of, a lot of high expectations. He wasn't completely expecting. I mean, because when you hit on consecutive draft picks and Durant, Westbrook, Harden. You're going to get the expectations faster than you even think uh, you would have otherwise. Yeah. Um, I think they should be a playoff team again next year. Uh, I think this offseason is going to be very important. I think they need to be able to bring – I think they bring Bradley Beal back first of all. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think they should. I think they should also. I think they probably need to add a couple, one or two more guys, role players that can just help fill up the roster – improve the roster. I think they should be a playoff team once again. I'm not going to say they should be an Eastern Conference semifinalist, a top four seed, but I do think they should be in the bottom half of the East again, or they should be in the race for it because teams are improving in the East. No, definitely. Um, no, I mean, they have a chance to be top four, uh, but it really depends on this offseason. It's going to be really big. And the tight system Scott Brooks plays. If Scott Brooks, I think this team should be up and down just as the John Wall is the fastest player in basketball. If he's not fastest, he's He's in the top two, top two or top three. Uh, they need to play it to him, and having a run up and down running gun system, kind of like what Phoenix in like the mid two thousand. That's the kind of uh, look they should idolize themselves after. And they're really good defensively, yeah. at least in the last year. They have the potential um, John, to be, or yeah, they should be. John Wall, Marcin Gortat, really good uh, defenders, and then you just like the three. A three spot will be kind of what makes or breaks this team. Yeah, if I agree Potter, with that. Yeah, if Potter Porter can uh, can take the step up that people anticipated from this past year, and if Kelly Oubre can uh, can live up to his potential as soon as sooner than later, then uh, they'll definitely be a force. Yeah, definitely should be. Um, so I think one more th- important thing we should talk about is Kevin Durant with the Washington Wizards. Do you think the Wizards thought about bringing? Do you think the reason they hired him or part part of the reason why they hired him was because thinking they could get Kevin Durant in? What do you think the odds are that Kevin Durant goes to Washington? 
Yeah, I mean, publicly they talked about how, or publicly they'll say that this hiring wasn't made for Durant. Uh, even in the past, the Wizards have hired, they hired Kevin Durant, I believe, high school coach as their assistant. So whatever they're saying publicly, I think is wrong because I think definitely they were looking at Kevin Durant potentially. Uh, I personally don't think it's realistic anymore for Kevin Durant to go there. And the more I think about it, I think he's going to be more suited to a. Uh, I think he's going to go to a bigger market, and he doesn't really necessarily want to come back home. Yeah, I think the whole going to play home thing is kind of ridiculous. How many guys do you really, really know that have gone to play home that have decided that in free agency that they want to go play home? Exactly. I think the whole. I think it's just gotten bigger just because LeBron. LeBron going back to. I mean, I really don't know why it's gotten that much bigger. To be honest with you, in recent years. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at when Dwight Howard was a free agent, Atlanta was in the conversation just because it was his hometown. I don't really think that was a realistic target there. It was just there are other guys not even coming off the top of my head. There's a bunch of guys that this situation has happened to that I don't get why it is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's realistic that he goes there. Uh, Royce Young on Twitter made a really good point in saying that if Kevin Durant really wanted to play for Scott Brooks and he'd still be the coach at Oklahoma, in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I, but I think, I don't know, but Durant's only known really one. He's known two head coaches, I should say, and P.J. Colosimo and Scott Brooks. We saw what P.J. Colosimo did in Seattle slash Oklahoma City, and it was a freaking, like, I don't know what to say, it's just abysmal. Uh, so I think I think now he, he's probably got more of an appreciation for Scott Brooks uh, as a head coach, especially with the year he's dealt with with Billy Donovan. Yeah, definitely. After the year that Billy Don he's had with Billy Donovan, uh, I think he understands what Scott Brooks was as a coach and how much better he was as a coach. Right. Uh, anything else you want to add? No, that's it. Okay. Uh, before we move on, Vinay, just once again, very, very important question I really have to ask you. What's that? Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? All the time. Most sites make it so complicated, just for some reason, I don't know why, it can be so much simpler, and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets to a game or concert. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I use it I use it all the time just to look for hockey game, for Stars games and Rangers games. When I want to go to Rangers games, I go on there. Yeah. Uh, SeatGeek has taken all the work and has a lot of shopping for tickets. They put all the tickets available on other sites into one place, so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and SeatGeek will let you know if the ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest, and I mean always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Let's search for the show get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code MOD20, that's capital M, capital O, capital D, 20, and SeatGeek will send you a We'll send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code MOD20. That is capital M, capital O, capital D, 20 today. Vinay, how surprised were you by the Josh Norman news? I was shocked. Absolutely shocked. I I can tell you was not expecting it all. I was not expecting it at all. Completely shocked and blindsided. Um, So Josh Norman... 
They're in contract talks. He was in contract talk, talks with the Panthers, was reportedly looking for about $16 million a year, about four or five years long. What do you think Carolina had was offering him to where they just could not get a deal done? I felt uh, uh, whatever the, I don't know the exact numbers uh, off the top. Like I, was, I brought up the room, obviously, but uh, I mean I don't understand. Like they had their franchise tag, and he's getting paid about fourteen million a year. Um, so I'm really like curious as to what they offered to where it got so bad to where they knew he wasn't going to come back. I mean they could have franchise tagged him for however long they want him there. So I think something happened behind the scenes to where. Uh, like there was no way he could have played from this year, even under the franchise tag. I think something happened behind the scenes that we're not, we we may never know about. Um, hopefully, Josh Norman, being the outspoken dude that he is, uh, lights lights that uh, sheds light on that. I should say. But uh, yeah, I mean, really interesting. I've never seen anything like this before in any sport. Yeah, um, just the first thing I could think of was they lowballed him very low. He's looking for sixteen. They probably offered him ten or eleven million dollars a year which is low for his caliber of a cornerback. Um, do you think $16 million is too much for him? I'm just looking at like the like the highest-paid cornerbacks, and Darrell Revis is at the top $14 million a year, Patrick Peterson $14 million a year, Richard Sherman $14 million a year. Is he, like, I don't think, I don't necessarily think he's worth the extra $2 million compared to these guys. Heck no, absolutely not. Uh, Josh Norman, I think, is... As a guy, he's he's really good at what he does for his team. And you're talking about Carolina, who had uh, probably the second best defense in all of football behind Denver, obviously. Um, and just he was kind of a good fit there, zone cover, zone scheme. Uh, you have athletic linebackers that could uh, help you in the run game, so you don't really necessarily have to have to like get off your back pedal and attack the run uh, yeah. as a DB, which is huge. You can just focus on the pass mainly. Also, I mean, also had a great pass rush that forced the quarterback to get rid of the ball. Exactly. I was just about to say that. And then, uh, yeah, but I mean, the main thing here is the zone scheme. And most teams don't run the zone zone uh, scheme for their quarterbacks. So the team like Washington, I don't think, will benefit as much from Josh Norman as Carolina would. Yeah. Uh, like you said, they run they run zone. They run cover three. Um, uh, he's... Had he played really, really well in the Super Bowl, we can both agree on that. Yes, definitely did. Um, had some games where he, they run some man, so not like overblowing the zone thing, but they ran a little bit of man. He did well in some situations, he struggled in some. He didn't necessarily play well against Odell Beckham, like the game winning touchdowns. The first thing that pops to my mind, um, yeah, I mean, $60 million is a lot to invest in a quarterback, in a cornerback, and I just don't know if he's better than guys like Darrell Revis, Patrick Peterson, and uh, Richard Sherman. I just don't know if he's on that level necessarily. I, I frankly, I, I really feel confident knowing that I don't think he – I know he's not at that level, just like as of what I've seen right now. Um, yeah, but it's going to be it's gonna be interesting to see this year he has coming up because he's never, he's never quite uh, – He's never quite had to deal with the pressure of being like the number one quarterback. Even going into last year, he was really just known as the guy that got in a fight with Cam Newton at practice. With yeah, uh, yeah, with Cam. <laughs> that was funny. It's I'm look. I'm just looking at like uh, just a list of cornerbacks and that they're how much they're paid. It's really it's a really really tough market to gauge because you're looking at guys like Revis and Peterson and Sherman that are at the top of the list, and then you have guys like Byron Maxwell who are making ten million a year. Janoris Jenkins is getting twelve million a year. Akeem Talib's getting nine million a year, who's arguably the best cornerback in football overall last year. 
it's it's really tough market to gauge at this point. Where do you think is a comfortable range? Would you say twelve to thirteen million dollars is where he should be? It really depends on who who I am as a team. If I'm Washington and knowing that you've tried to make risk like take risks before, especially on the defensive side, I don't think I'd even touch Josh Norman to be honest with you. But they refuse to learn learn from their mistakes. Uh, I mean, personally, I just wouldn't. I wouldn't get. I wouldn't touch Josh Norman unless I was a guy that I was, unless I was a team that had a superior defensive talent around. And I don't think Washington has that in the slightest. Yeah, I think you are correct in that. And just teams interested, the Washington, I think, are the favorites right now, along with San Francisco. Those are the two favorites at this point. Where I saw a tweet that said that a deal could get done tonight, recording this on Friday afternoon, with with Washington, I believe, for five years in the 14 to $15 million range. There was a long list of teams that Adam Schefter tweeted that had interest. We're looking at teams like Oakland, Tennessee, Miami, Pittsburgh, just any any team that has somewhat of a need at cornerback, they were on the list of teams interested. Right. Uh, are there any teams where you could see like actually a legitimate good fit? Uh, well, it's interesting Carolina hasn't completely ruled them out yet, but I don't think that's possible. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's possible at this point. Jacksonville's somebody interesting to me if they change to more of a, a zone, but Gus Bradley runs a man scheme. Uh, I mean, you could change that. Uh, I mean, it's going to be really interesting. I don't really know of a fit for him. What do you think? Uh, maybe not just defensive scheme-wise, but I think Oakland would be a good fit. They have a young defense coming up. DJ Hayden necessarily hasn't worked out, and I think that's going to be a position they target in the draft. But if you get you have guys like Khalil Mack that have, that are dominated and stuff like that, pick, put him in, you get an interior lineman in the draft, I think you're looking at a young, stout, going to be really good defense. Right, yeah. I just think that's one of the fits. Obviously, I think if we're if you just want to get into the Washington talk, what do you think their defense would look like with him next year? Uh, I don't. I, no, I still don't think it's going to be top ten or anything like that. To be honest with you. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you. I think the only thing that I'm really excited for every time with Washington is to see him and Odell play twice a year. Yeah, I would. I would. I would say that. Um, is there anything else you want to add here? Uh, no, that's it. That's all you got? Okay, so, I'm a bit, I, I watch a good amount of UFC, I would say, and the biggest star of the sport, Conor McGregor, came out on, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, and basically tweeted, I've decided to retire young, thanks for the cheese, catch you us later, and everybody was just in shock, like, nobody knew if it was pranking everybody, if he was serious, so then reports started to come out that he was being serious. There had been a little rift going on with the UFC. And it turns out it was about they they were for UFC he's on the UFC two hundred card. He's the main event. He was in he flew into Iceland on Monday to start training there. And then um they they were gonna have a big press conference for UFC two hundred on Friday in Las Vegas. And he basically said he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna go and do it. So Dana White pulled him from the card. Said you have to be able to, you have to promote, like, there's, you don't have a choice at this point. You have to promote at this point. So then Conor McGregor comes out and basically says, I'm being paid, I, I'm always paid to fight. I've not been yet, I haven't been paid yet to promote at all. I'm just coming off a loss. I need some time. I need to be able to train properly. I need to fix my mistakes. Uh, 
I'm just paraphrasing what he said. Basically, I need to fix my mistakes. I'm facing a bigger, strong, bigger, longer, stronger guy than I do. I need to be able to prepare for that. I've helped build this company in the past eight months. I've helped them make more than four hundred million dollars in the past eight months in the last three events. So you need to get you should you should give me some leeway. And basically, yeah, that's basically what he said. And he said he was gonna he would still go to the New York press conference. So they're gonna do a press conference in Las Vegas, and then Stockton, California, where Nate Diaz is from, and then New York. It, and yeah, he said he'd do New York. Uh, he basically he also said that he made the the company more promotional money than they would have just because of the one tweet that he tweeted. Um, what are your thoughts on the whole situation, Vinay? Uh, definitely a really interesting situation we have here. Uh, Conor McGregor is obviously the star um, of UFC. Um, but I mean, I'm like UFC is just different than other. I, at other sports leagues, uh, organizations, I guess is the word. Uh, and the fact that they're so kind of connected and they're so reliant on their one guy or in terms of basketball, I mean, obviously LeBron's a big deal, but if you were to step away for a time, uh, it'd still do really well. Uh, UFC, I think will still do well, but in this case you have a big event in UFC 200, which is going to be basically their Super Bowl. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, their July events are always their biggest events of the year in, UFC 200 is expected to be the biggest event ever. Yeah. So I mean, him him not being there, and it's not too it's not too far away. It's only what is it July? Yeah. Well, it's three months away. Four, three or four months away. Yeah, three. Right. So I mean, it's going to be kind of hard to get the best fight possible in such short notice. Uh, would you say so? Um, I mean, three months away. That's typically like. Typically, if you're a fighter, you're going to – if you're, like, fighting a lot per year, then you're going to fight every three to four months. So, like, if John Jones, who fights on Saturday, knocks out Ovin St. Peru in the first round, then he'd be well, – He's he said he's he would be willing to fight at UFC 200. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's tough to get fights like that. It also seems a little soon to be promoting a fight three months away. Yeah, no, that's very true. Uh, the way I, I really look at it was – UFC doesn't have like a fighter association like MLB, NBA, and NFL have like a players association. So it's really like the the fighters don't have any opportunity to speak out or give their own opinion or it's the UFC is controlling them basically and they're underpaid, they're undervalued for what they do. They don't make any sponsorship money anymore. So I think it's important for a guy like Conor McGregor to be able to speak out and kind of set a tone for him and the rest of the fighters at this point. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting point you made on the there's no fighters association. I mean, we really don't really talk about enough the job that the players association do for other does for the other leagues, uh, the NBA, MLB, NFL, NHL as well. Um, they're really big, and they're the reason why you see a lockout sometimes, and they really fight for the players. And I think they're really important in any sport. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if UFC ever gets to that point. Uh, but yeah, I think it'd be. I, I wonder what they could do in terms of the fighters association. I don't know if it's going to be exactly like a player association. It's just it's just a different type of thing. But I feel like there should be someone speaking out for the players if they need be. I think the well, I think in well, UFC is a newer sport, so it's kind of hard for the fighters to understand like the business side of it just because it's so new. But I think it's inevitable within however many years that they do end up getting a fighter association. I, I just think it's important for fighters to be able to give their own opinion, speak out on important issues that the UFC may not side with, and they'd be okay, and they wouldn't lose their job or anything. 
And the fighters' association is also important for the fighters to make more money. It's just like a, a like a lockout you'd have in a professional sport where you you don't you have a lockout to where until the the players are being paid appropriately and they're getting fair, just getting fair everything for like with play and whatnot. And I think that'll eventually happen to where they can they make more money either from Reebok, who's their main spot, who's UFC's main sponsor now, or they're able to get their own sponsorship again sponsorships again where they were being valued more properly than what they are now. Yeah, that's fair. But getting back to Conor McGregor, UFC needs him. Let's just say that he's he's their biggest star in the sport. He's bigger than Ronda Rousey. He his tweet had more is the most retweeted tweet by an athlete from an athlete, maybe ever. It was more than any tweet last year. It was bigger than Kobe Bryant's retwi- retirement tweet. I mean, he's a legitimate star. Like in not just UFC, just everywhere, he's a legitimate star. Yeah, no, without a question. And I think Dana White says, well, I've been caught. Everybody thinks I'm coddling Connor and treating him like a baby and he gets whatever he wants. Well, this is what I'm trying to prove. I'm proving to you that that's not the case. Maybe you should try and baby him and coddle him because he's your biggest star and he makes the most money for you. It's it yeah. should it's not. This isn't a situation where every fighter is the same. <laughs> Fighters are more valuable than others. Right. And he's going to be if he's making you more money then he should be. You should treat him fairly. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Um, is do you think do you think so? You think Connor's in the right, and Dana White and the UFC are in the wrong here? Yeah, I don't necessarily know exactly what's going on in this situation. Uh, I feel like there might be some even more to be uncovered. Uh, from what I know, apparently there's Connor was training, and Dana White asked him to come to promote, and Connor said no, and that's part of the, this whole fiasco. Uh, but I don't understand how that situation happens. I feel like you should know when your promotional events are. And for him to be in Iceland and has to take a flight immediately to get to Las Vegas or whatever, uh, I feel like there should have been more preparation or feel there should have been more notice if there wasn't. Yeah, well, I mean, every every fighter on the card so far is going to be at the press conference. They're, just, they're not just like asking him this week, oh, hey, you need to come promote this for us just because or whatnot. But it's tough for him because look at what he's done for the company. He went on a world tour with Jose Aldo with Jose Aldo, who then pulled out of the fight, and he he went on a short notice fight against Chad Mendes and won. Then he then he then he promoted his fight against Jose Aldo, won in 13 seconds. Did a big promotion with Rafael Dos Anjos when he moved up weight for the lightweight title. Dos Anjos pulled out, then fought Nate Diaz on short on short notice. I mean, he's doing more for the company than anybody than anybody ever has, and he's not being treated. I don't think he's necessarily being treated accordingly to what he's done for them. Yeah, I mean, Dana's also new. I, I think he's kind of new. UFC has just gotten started to blow up in terms of popularity. I think Dana will learn. I Hopefully they can all learn from this experience. Uh, I mean, it's just UFC is just really unique to any other sport, and you're going to see different situations. I mean, boxers have never had – I don't even remember a boxing organization. Like, there's not even really a boxing organization that has had issues with boxers in the past uh, other than drug, drug tests uh, – whatever uh appeals and all that stuff i mean there's never anything been anything like this uh i mean i'd like to think that dana told conor mcgregor exactly with notice when when exactly you have to be where after as soon as he announced the card um so that's a little interesting that because i mean all all fighters have to deal with the promotional i think that's just part of it uh in, in, in boxing or ufc so i don't necessarily agree with the fact that he's only here to uh 
to fight. I mean, he knows that you're promotional and I mean, part of the antics, he even knows that like the trash talking antics, he knows he's, that's part of promoting the fight. Yeah. And I mean, you, when you use a boxing example, I mean, it's a completely different thing. It's a completely different thing. I mean, fighters in boxing promote their own fights. They have promoters for them. They're allowed to have sponsorships. They don't sign. They're not under an organization necessarily. There are a bunch of different belts. They sign contracts with the Showtime or HBO if you're a big-time boxer. It's not like you're working with an organization that doesn't let you speak out on whatever you want. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think I'm, I'm on Connor's side here. I mean, he deserves some leeway just for what he's done with the company. And if they don't put him back on the UFC 200 card, I think they're absolutely insane. Yeah, I think they are insane, but uh, they would be insane, I should say. Yeah. Uh, but... I mean, I, th- I don't see really a scenario where he wouldn't be on that card, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I think he'll be on the card. That's my opinion. Um, yeah, but I mean, Dana White's kind of in a loose situation. I, t- I texted you yesterday. Uh, he has to go back on his word to get Connor back on the card because he said that no stars were in the brand of UFC, um, which I think he should have waited until before today, which is the press conference, yeah. uh, to say something. And I think he just made a rash decision and saying he wouldn't be on the card because now you have to you have to backtrack if you want to get him on the card or you have to scramble and find another fight for the main fight. And I mean that's your Super Bowl, so you have to get, you want your biggest star as the main event of your of your Super Bowl in UFC 200. Yeah, you do. I mean he he has to be there. I don't see any other way that UFC 200 is as successful as it would be with Conor McGregor. No, without a question. Is there anything else you want to add here? That's it. Hi, great podcast today. Is there anything else you want to add? With we haven't we didn't even talk playoffs. Is there anything you want to add with the playoffs? Anything else you want to talk about? No, that's that's all I have. I mean, huge win for the Rockets yesterday. Yay, huge win for the Rockets. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll take a playoff win just delaying the inevitable, inevitable. But yeah, I'm happy we won a game. I guess. Uh, great pod. Talk to you soon. All right, sounds good. Adios. Bye.